Hi, this is Jason Faisal, and I'm the lead pastor at Casper Alliance Church. So grateful that you stopped by to listen to our weekly podcast. In this teaching, we looked at another set of spiritual gifts called the Word Gifts. We hope that uh, you enjoy this teaching and, and that it's a blessing to you. Again, thanks for stopping by. of our Spiritual Gifts Purpose Series, week six. Anybody tired of it yet? Because we are just getting started. So we're going to deal with Word Gifts, the last section of Word Gifts today. There's three of them, but we have a bunch more to come. Uh, the Power Gifts, which are the, the kind of the woohoo exciting ones, the ones that make everybody got the hair on their neck kind of stand up and make, make us feel a little bit uncomfortable if we're not used to it, or if some people are like, finally, we're getting to the good stuff. But we're, we're going to deal with word gifts, but here's what I need to do. There's, there's a couple things about this that are, that are kind of, uh, they're difficult for me because I'm kind of using, uh, I'm writing things down, using a manuscript, so it's not my normal style. And if I feel like we're not, like we have this scripture that we've built everything upon, and there's, there are three or four sections of spiritual gift scriptures uh, in the New Testament, and I don't feel like I'm circling back to the word very often. And that makes me a little uncomfortable. And today is like, I, I was looking at this and going, there, this is just me telling you what the spiritual gifts are. And I want to, I guess, reframe again why spiritual gifts are so important and why we're, why we're wrestling through this. Why, why now? Um, continue to remind us why this is, this is critical for us as a church at this stage of, of who we are and my leadership here, and how we're going to continue to step forward. So turn with me in your scriptures to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 in your Bible or swipe on your phone. Or We don't necessarily have pew Bibles here. Do we have chair Bibles or a handful of, handful of out there? If there's a Bible in front of you and you want to look in it, 1 Corinthians 12, I'll actually have it on the screen as well. Um, and this is just to remind us uh, why this is so important, and this is where a lot of, a lot of the, the study and the text and, like, the books that have been written, and there's so many books on spiritual gifts. And I, to remind you again, we've, I've been using this one book, and I actually handed it to another book, um, uh, Convergence, written by John Thompson. Um, you know, it's funny. It, I'm making sure that I reference John every single day because I have been influenced greatly by, by his teaching on this. And, um, but it's kind of cool because we, we link, we link his book in our podcast and on our website to, just to give credit. So it, I want to remind you that these aren't original thoughts. Like there's a point when I'm talking where the preaching comes out and you like, you can tell it's me as opposed to things that are somebody else. But, but I've been influenced. And another book that's been really good is Peter Wagner, uh, which is old, like seventies book on spiritual gifts, organizing the gifts. Um, and what I found out this week is that John took a lot of content from Peter and so, they, we, listen, we're, we all talk to old guys in the commentaries that don't exist anymore. And for any sort of thing that a pastor says is usually from somebody else that somebody said. But I want to make sure that we give credit. And I appreciate the, the teaching and the organization and the structure that's been built around these gifts. And it's really important. But that being said, I want to get to, to the text that becomes kind of the launch pad to make spiritual gifts uh, a per, like an important part of the church. 
first century church, 21st century church, and every year in between, that it's still important and it's viable and it's, it's something that we need to, to buy into. So let's look together at 1 Corinthians chapter 12. It says this. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. I talked about this a few weeks ago, probably five weeks ago, that, that Paul's writing this because it's not, it's not that they don't know that things are happening in the church or the church is doing things or people co- are coming to Christ in the Corinthian church. It's that Paul is beginning to see the same things that happen in the church in also happening in the pagan gatherings. And, and, they're, and the church is getting confused, like what's, what's really going on here? And so Paul's Paul's desire here is, I need to inform you. And he's saying, I want to inform you, church, that this is what the spiritual gifts are all about. Here's why they're important. Here's what they are. So when you begin to see God work, you can give proper credit to why it's happening. Next verse, verse 2 says this. (laughs) You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols. However, you were led. There's a desire within humanity that we want to be led, we want to be drawn into something, we want to be, have, have leadership, we want, to be, we want to be pushed, we want to be told how to do it or, or why, and then at the same time, we are all subject to influence. We want to be influenced. And, and Paul's acknowledging, saying, you guys, before you acknowledge Jesus as Lord and Savior, You are experiencing some of the same things you're experiencing now. And I don't want you to be led astray because idols mean nothing. Idols are nothing. And the God who's empowering you is something. And I want to show you that the power has to have credit and that credit goes to Jesus. And so he's saying mute idols, right? They're silent. They don't do anything, but you're still being led astray or influenced by them. Verse 3 says this. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except for in the Holy Spirit. Verse 3 is really all about what happens when you become a Christian. When you become a Christian, it's not just acknowledging Jesus as Savior, but it's acknowledging, acknowledging Him as Lord, that He has ownership over all the faculties of your life. That he influences what you see and what you read and how you think and, and how you live and how you work and how you interact with, with people and, and, and the way in which you spend your money and, how, and who, who you marry. He influences all of those things. How you raise your kids. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. Unity. Paul wants us there to be unity. There's going to be differences. We're all going to look different. We're all going to have these skills or this ability. God-given ability that makes us different. But in that, the same spirit that says that we can call Jesus Lord is at work in us so that because within uh, this great diversity of the church and the activity and and the ways in which we carry out ministry, we have unity because we're all under the same spirit. And this is incredible. It's so important because as we begin to look at each other differently and say, oh, you have this gift and this is why you do the way you think or why you do this and why you're motivated to do it like that. And this is why you get such great joy out of doing uh, service this way. We can then go, praise the Lord for you. I'm so excited, even though I hate cleaning toilets. And we, and we can begin to be excited about what other people are doing within the church, within the ministry, even though we have no joy when that particular thing happens. And that's, that creates unity, but also recognizes the incredible diversity amongst us. Verse 4. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. I just said that. Verse 5. 
And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord, verse 6. And there are varieties of activity, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. The author and ownership of the power that you operate under with your spiritual gift comes from one source, and that's God in heaven, by his spirit. That's it. Now, remember we talked about natural gifts, and we talked about, like, God-given DNA and talent that you could have? Like, some people are just born to do a certain thing. We just, we, we wake up when we're three, and we have this incredible ability to do this, um, this particular thing. Have you ever, this is something that happens to me probably too much than it should. You ever get lost in a YouTube spiral? Anybody watch YouTube ever? Like, you can just click on a YouTube video, and then there's that, that side on the right, of all the videos, and it can just, it can, you can just get lost. It's like four days later, and you, you've watched 700 hours of video, and you, but you're watching things that like didn't have anything to do with the very first video that you started, but they all have some sort of special connection point to where all of a sudden you're like, wow, I didn't know how to, how to change the, the P valve underneath my sink, but now I do, but I started watching voice videos, and you're like, this is incredible. But it happens to me every now and again. Too much than it should. But here's the thing that I love watching on YouTube so much. I love watching the blind auditions from The Voice where they turn the chairs. I love those videos. I love it because it's always a surprise. This person walks up. They don't look the part. They don't, they don't play the part. And I'm not going to show us a video, by the way. And they, they, they don't look like how, they're, how they sound. And it's just this amazing thing comes out of them that only can come from God. It's just like... That, that talent is only from one, I mean, it's just incredible. We, had, we were watching um, the Lego Masters TV show. You ever seen that? Have you seen the advertisements for that? They build these incredible, like, incredible Lego creations and then destroy them. And while I was watching it, I, I was thinking, how in the world do you have the mind in order to build that whole thing? To where, like, from nothing to something with little Lego pieces. And so... I, I know within us that God has given us talents. We have these skill sets. We have these things. We also have education where we can go and we can develop skill. We can go and learn and we can, and we can, we can figure out how to do certain things and we can be taught how to do them. But this, what, what Paul's talking about, this power is different. These activities that Paul's mentioning, these spiritual gifts are different. There are, there's an empowerment that comes from the Holy Spirit that equips you and makes you very different with a supernatural, supernatural, like we're all superheroes if you follow Jesus Christ, because you have a supernatural ability to do something. And why, do we, why is that important? Verse 7 says why that's important. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for what? The common good. Why is this so important for us to be talking about? As each one of you experiences and understands and hears and, from God and, and starts to step into this, here's what my spiritual gift is, you'll say, start to go, I have purpose. And I have a purpose not for me, but for the what? Common good. The common good being the church. Paul's talking to the church in Corinth, but he's also talking to us. You need to experience and know what your spiritual gift is so that you can build the common good. The common good being Casper Alliance Church. So that 
is a, a short Bible study and framework of why this is so critical. We are at a place in our church, in our history, to where these particular things need to be explored and discovered so that each one of you in this room, from babies to 80s, can find purpose. Not for you to feel good about you. It will happen, but for you to, pro to produce common good in the entirety of the church. That's what Paul's talking about, and that's why it's important for us. We have three um, categories of gifts that we've been talking about, and we talked about love gifts, love gifts, word gifts, and power gifts. And we've went through the love gifts, and on that sheet, if you grab the piece of paper, it will send the, the different love gifts that we talked about. We talked about a few word gifts last week. Let me just re remind you what the, what the organizationally, what those gifts are. Love gifts, they manifest the love of God in very practical ways. Administration, mercy, giving practical things to show the love of God. Word gifts, the ones we're dealing with right now, to clarify the nature, actions, and purposes of God. Teaching we talked about last week. These are ways in which to show God, who God is to people, to clarify God in his message. And then power gifts, the power, presence, and reality of God in a situation. Each week I've been saying, here are some questions that have kind of come up in my mind. Here's some questions that I think are logical to think through. And so I'm going to give you a couple questions that I think might be going on in your brain. Maybe some that I've actually heard or talked with people. So here's a question. I kind of feel uncomfortable searching for my spiritual gift. It feels a little weird. Let me tell you this. Nowhere in the Bible does it say specifically how to deal with finding your gift. It doesn't talk about finding your gift. It doesn't give us a step-by-step -step plan on how to do it. It says what the gifts are, but it doesn't say how to do it. Nowhere, for example, does Peter say to Paul or James, and now, brethren, I would have you follow these steps to discover your spiritual gift. You know, the lack of that passage actually has convinced a lot of churches and a lot of us that spiritual gifts are kind of an improper pursuit. That it's not worthwhile. And maybe even selfish. I don't think that the lack of biblical exposition on how to find your spiritual gift should be a deterrent. Nowhere in the Bible does it tell us how to draw up a constitution or bylaws for a church. Nowhere in Scripture does it say how to form children's ministry or youth ministry or how to put it together in order of service. Nowhere in Scripture does it say that, that it, this type of church in the 21st century should look the way it does right now. But we still do it, don't we? So why do we have this comfortability creating bylaws and rules and constitutions and order of service and kids ministry, youth ministry, and saying that certain guys can do this type of ministry? Why do we do that? We like organization. I want to assure you that searching for your spiritual gift isn't selfish. It's not weird. It is for the common good of the church. And if you're struggling with that, I want to tell you to stop. When you know and live and work out your spiritual gift amongst us, it is for our benefit, 
you're helping us. You're serving the body. Another question that comes up is, I think I have this gift. Oh, wait, maybe I don't. I used to think I had certain gifts, and then I realized I didn't, and then I thought I had other ones, and I realized I didn't. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to think about exploring. Each Sunday, we've been giving you an opportunity to come forward and say, I want this gift. I think that that's valuable. I want you to explore. What is God doing in your heart? What is God saying to you? What is, God, what is the Spirit of God doing with you? Are you being drawn in to ask the question, God, what do you want from me? Because that's what needs to happen. You know, just as important question as what is my spiritual gift is what is not my spiritual gift. Sometimes I put on my clothes based on what doesn't match as opposed to what does match. Because I realize that doesn't look right. So everything else I have left will look fine. Because those two things don't look right together. I went to a life conference, life, you guys have heard of life conference, I've been to too many of them, they're pretty exhausting. <laughs> they are, lots of people come to know Jesus there. And one of the gimmicks at the life conference that I, that I would do is I would always wear a plaid shirt with striped shorts. And I would always have a mustache. A mustache with plaid shirt and striped shorts and you have 30 kids running around a conference with 6,000 kids, they always could do what? Find me. They knew exactly where I was. Didn't have to have a megaphone, didn't have a whistle, didn't have an orange shirt on, had a plaid shirt on. Why is that important? In, in a sea of 6,000 kids, having 25 of them who you're responsible to their parents of bringing home alive, it's really important to make sure you know where they all are. <laughs> Identify them so that you can lead them. It's important for me to know and for you to know me, what our gifts are, so I can lead you. So in a crowd of a thousand churches, we can express ourselves the way that we're supposed to. We can find ourselves the way that we're supposed to. It doesn't make us better. It makes us different. And remember, Paul's point in informing on the spiritual gift was within this understanding of what spiritual gifts are, you will realize that you have diversity. But within that diversity, you have an incredible unity. And unity is the key for the church. When we work together, it doesn't matter denominations, when we work together to promote Jesus, to proclaim Jesus, to present Jesus to people, we win. And so sometimes we're going to have to put on our plaid shirt and our striped shorts so everybody knows who we are. And they can see us. And you're all going to have to have mustaches. Even the ladies. We are not gender specific here. Even you ladies need to start working on your mustaches. But identifying and knowing that within one, of, one another gives us identity so that we can promote and, and push one another. And so not knowing what your gift is, knowing what your gift is, you got to know what you're wearing. You have to know what you're wearing, how you're dressing, what you're showing up to the church, what you're bringing to the table on a Sunday morning. It doesn't mean that you get out of cleaning a toilet out of every now and again. It doesn't mean that you don't have to fulfill some sort of help and responsibility because we're a family doing things together. It doesn't mean that you don't, you just get to skip that because you're like, I'm not gifted in that, I'm not going to do it. 
That's not our attitude here. The attitude is, I understand how I'm gifted, and I'm going to step into that space, and I'm going to do it for the betterment of the church, for the common good. And I understand what I'm not, so I'm not going to purposely try to do this particular thing because it'll wear me out, and it'll exhaust me. It'll make me frustrated, and I'll feel bitter and angry. So it's really important for you to explore and ask, God, what is my gift? All right, so let's get into it for today. <laughs> like, get into it? You've been already getting into it. So we have three gifts we're going to look at today. Leadership, pastoring, and evangelism. These are all word gifts. They're all ways in which you use your words. And I'm going to go quick now. The gift of leadership is all about what and where, and it's never about the how. It's about vision, not implementation. The spiritual gift of leadership involves exercising influence over a group to lead it toward a vision or a goal, enabling the body of Christ to accomplish God's purposes. A person operating with the gift of leadership demonstrates a capacity to exercise leadership over a group as, we, as that person leads towards the goal. And I want to emphasize this. They have the capacity to make decisions and, and at the same time keeping everyone together. Keeping everyone together is a key part of that. It's really easy to step into a room. Oh, here's where we're going to go. Here's what we're going to do. Charge. You don't want people following you out of fear. A person with the spiritual gift of leadership has the ability to make the supernatural decision and at the same time keep the body together as they move forward. Leadership is all about vision. Leaders are the one that God speaks to. They get to see the promised land before everybody else. They get to see the ark before everybody else. They get to see the temple before everybody else. God communicates where they're going to go, what they're going to do, but not necessarily the how. Imagine if the leader had everything, he had the how, he had the teaching, he had, the, he had all 21 gifts. He would be a tyrant. It's really fun how God gives people the spiritual gift of leadership, but he requires them to need the people like administration to help implement the leadership. He can't do it on his own, or she can't do it on her own. She needs, or he needs, someone else. That's the beauty of the body of Christ. People with this gift need to have a deeply rooted relationship with God. They need to hear clearly. Without this, vision sometimes becomes other than. I've been involved in lots of uh, vision initiatives within church life. We're in ours. We have our vision established. But I've been involved in lots of those. And you can tell easily when it's an agenda of a man who is, who's wanting to do good things but not really hearing from the Lord but just wants to do good things. Those things oftentimes become the, the calling card of the church. 
That's why a lot of churches like limp for a while. Because it's good stuff. Think of all the good things that churches are doing. But are they really hearing the call of God to express themselves as a church and being led by vision by somebody who has the dynamic gift of leadership? It's unique when that happens. And you can see it when it happens. You can watch it and go, wow, God is on that place. It doesn't mean that all that other stuff is bad. It just distracts from what the real vision is. The gift of leadership is a special ability that God gives to certain members of the body of Christ to set goals with accordance with God's purpose for the future and to communicate these goals to others in such a way that they voluntarily and harmoniously work together to accomplish those goals. Leaders must have followers. The leadership quality is due to a gift the leaders will follow voluntarily. Many times, people with the gift of leadership will have the title or office. Remember, title and office are different than spiritual gifts of pastor. But they do not have the gift of pastoring or shepherding. A book uh, by Lyle Schaller likens skillful, past- skillful pastors of growing churches to ranchers, not shepherds. They have the gift of leadership. Ranchers make sure that the different flocks and herds get the attention they need, and they recruit others to do it. They take minimal personal interest in the problems of the individual sheep. Pastors who prefer to shepherd model will have content, will have to content themselves with churches that have a membership under 200. This is statistics stuff, and, and they may well be God's will for their life. And then their role of leadership will suffice without a special gift. On the other hand, those who can fit into a rancher model have much greater possibilities for growth. And they likely have the gift of leadership. And here's what's really interesting. God loves and has called both the shepherd and the rancher. And you begin to see within churches, not just ours, but lots of churches, how they are fulfilling their unique expression, how God's called them through their leadership. If they have pastoral leadership, shepherding leadership, or rancher-style leadership. And one is not better than the other. Hear that. One is not better than the other. God has called each church to carry out its vision specifically for them. And think of this. We are all diverse churches. We all have a unique expression. But when we work together as a community of God's people, each church can reach people differently. It takes time to establish leadership in a church, even when a pastor has a gift of leadership. This is the main reason why pastoral longevity has been found to be directly related to church growth. The common thread running through the testimonies of pastors of churches that have established a reputation of excellence and growth is that the more frequently than not, they have a lifetime call to that church. Neither the pastors nor the people wonder where the pastor will be five years later. Their commitment to each other is reminiscent of a marriage agreement until death do us part. Now here's why this is so important to me. Stepping in as your leader, knowing the history and pastoral turnover here over a sequence of time. This is why this is so important for us to tackle and understand of how we're all gifted. Changing pastors frequently 
prevents a church from establishing a firm philosophy of ministry, which now is recognized as an important factor in church's health and growth. Each church needs to be able to articulate why it is there, what their vision is, what their expression is, and why it is not the same as other churches in a given area of ministry or in the same denomination even. Few churches have been able to establish their philosophy of ministry because competent pastoral leadership is needed in order to do it well. When pastors come to go, come and go frequently, philosophies of ministry usually come and go as well. And none of them amounts to very much. When a, learn, when a church has a long-term pastoral commitment, the philosophy of ministry can and should be built around the spiritual gifts of the senior leader. Growing churches do this. As I lead this church, it's so super important for us to continue to get smaller as we get larger. Because we're going to grow. People are going to come to know Christ through our ministry. This church is going to grow. And we have to continue to get smaller as we get larger. This is going to require a pastoral revolution in the pews. Let's talk about what it means to be a pastor. Pastor Shepherd. There's several, several biblical words for pastor. Elder, presbyter, overseer, bishop. <laughs> the same meaning as pastor. These words are used in such a variety of ways. Our contemporary churches, it is helpful to distinguish between the office of pastor and the gift of pastor. I have the office of pastor. It's my title. It's my role. It's what I get paid to do. I have the office of pastor. Most of them who... Most of those whom we call pastors in America are people occupying the office of pastor, like myself. They have a staff position in a church. The point I'm making here is that not everyone who has the office of pastor, as understood today, needs the gift of pastor. Furthermore, many men and women who have the gift of pastor have not been given the office of pastor by having been placed on church staff. Fortunately, many people who have the title pastor actually do have the gift of pastor, and that's desperately needed. Pastor Berge, who's loved and revered here, I know just by the way people have talked about him, not only had the office, but the gift of pastor. That's important. That's a calling. The gift of pastor is a special ability that God gives to certain members of the body of Christ to assume long-term personal responsibility of the spiritual welfare of a group of believers. It's incarnating Christ's presence through all the experiences of life. A couple weeks ago, maybe last week, I talked about person-centered gifts versus group-centered gifts, and the gifts kind of worked their way out. Like a pastoral spiritual gift is a person-centered gift, not a group-centered gift. If you have the pastoral gift, which in this room many of you do, you have a concern and care for the one. Pastors are called to be involved in the few and the one. The key idea of shepherding is, 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 is the people. It is a long-term journey so they can be loved for a lifetime. That's why in this church I still hear how wonderful Pastor Berge was. Because he loved for a lifetime when he started. 
(laughs) So there are many pastors sitting in the rows in this room, reading and thinking and, and going, how do I meet the needs of people? Shepherding in ways some of us could never do. And I and we need you. This is a need right now for our church. Like I said, as we expand, as we get bigger, a pastoring gift makes the church feel smaller. The larger the ministry, the more pastors you have to have in a building. Not staff people, pastors. And that's men and women. We need you to engage all these people that are going to be coming to our house. You need to be engaged, attentive, and involved in the ministry of Casper Alliance Church. We need you. Understanding your pastoral gift is truly the only way a church can thrive and grow in influence and effectiveness. I hope everyone in this room has that gift. It is so needed. All right, last one. Then we're going to sing. I know this is a lot of words, a lot of lecturing. Good stuff, and we have more things to come that we're going to do some breakout time. You know, I'm going to sidebar for just one second. It's going to be short. As the church grows, one of the areas of ministry that will expand in this church will be, two, will be I should say, two areas of ministry. will be small group ministries and discipleship. Those are person-oriented gifts, or person-oriented ministries, I'm sorry, and they require person-oriented gift people to lead them. This environment right here, this Sunday morning gathering, is not a person-oriented event. It's a group-oriented event. My job to cast vision, to give leadership, to give, to give uh, empowerment and equipping to the saints so that when we get into the person-level events, small groups, Sunday school classes, discipleship, that you pastoral gift people, and myself included, need to begin to feed the sheep to take them to the right pasture, to help them grow. We need, we need pastoral people in kids' ministry and youth ministry to help guide and shepherd all of the people in this church. And it makes the church feel small, even if there are 10,000 people here. So those areas of ministry will be expanded. And those areas of ministry we're working on behind closed doors, not talking about them regularly. We're working on discipleship and what small group ministries can look like here. It's an important part of making a church be effective and helping people feel loved and cared for and ministered to and grown in Christ. Evangelism. This is one we all have to have. So remember, we're not all, we don't all get excused not to do it if we don't have the gift, right? We all have to bear witness. In fact, Acts 1.8 tells us we'll all receive power to be a witness. But there's some of you, and statistics show, about 5% of the churches, or 5% of the church have the evangelism gift, right? So we have 100 people. There were like exactly 100 people last week. Five people in the church, and that would include babies, have the gift of evangelism. <laughs> Every Christian is called to evangelize, to verbalize the gospel to others, particularly when given the opportunity. The gift of evangelism is mentioned in the gift list uh, in Ephesians 4. In context, as pointed out previously... I've talked about that gift a couple weeks ago, or Ephesians 4, maybe it was last week. It specifically refers to the office of evangelists. But in the same list, we talk about prophets, having the gift of prophecy, and apostles, the gift of apostleship, and teacher, the gift of teaching. 
So what I'm saying here is that many times when we say evangelist, we don't actually give it an office. We just say everybody's supposed to have it. And what ends up happening, and I'm going to fast forward to the end of this talk, what ends up happening is we feel incredible guilt for not leading people to Christ. We feel so much guilt. And in fact, it's one of the gifts that I think has been abused because you've been called on to do it in a way that's inappropriate and unfortunate. I know I've stood on many soapboxes in my youth ministry days yelling at 10-year-olds and 13-year-olds and 17-year-olds, you need to share the gospel with your friends. I'm like, I remember being 17. I shared the gospel with one of my friends, and we stopped being friends after that. That's true. Did it at a country kitchen in York, Nebraska, and it was a tough time. And so I know I've abused people by making them feel guilty that they don't have the gift of evangelism. And I want, I want to piece this out just a little bit. All of us are required to be present in people's life to have the opportunity to share the good news. All of us are required, when we have an opportunity, to proclaim the good news. All of us have the requirement to live out practically in our life that we are saved and have the good news in us. But there are some of you in this room who have a special, unique ability to bring people into the kingdom and make them feel connected through discipleship. You have the gift of evangelism. There are at least five people in this church who have it. I promise that. It's just statistically that's how God works. Why would God have a church exist without somebody in the church who is a God-given evangelist? When you think of evangelist, what's the name that comes to mind? Billy Graham. He's the best of all time. I used to work the Billy Graham phones. It was a requirement at Crown College. You have to do that in the evangelism class. It was the worst. You had to work the phone for a crusade night. And they would call, and you're like, it was... Wozniak, Gary Wozniak made us go do this. And we had to answer the phone for people who wanted to pray to receive Christ. And I'm a Bible student. I'm out of my depth. I have no idea these people are talking about wanting to commit suicide and going through life. And my wife left me and we're, we're going to lose our house and, and I need hope. And I'm like, here are the four spiritual laws. Here's the bridge to Jesus. With no power, with no authority. And definitely, I was not present in that conversation. I was just trying to get through it so I could get my A. I think so many times we enter into evangelistic efforts that way. But there are some of you in this room who are empowered to be an evangelist. Okay. I have so much content here, it's ridiculous. But I'm going to give you some symptoms of, of if you're an evangelist. Evangelism is a speaking gift. It's a speaking gift. It's the ability to communicate dynamically the truth of the good news. I am awful at it, but I'm telling you, I faithfully try to do it. This last week, I had the opportunity to present the gospel to somebody in my office. I'm going to confess before you it was clunky, and it felt weird, and I forced it because I, at 43 years old and a professional Christian, I still felt awkward. 
presenting the good news to a lost soul. That's messed up. And I felt incredible guilt that night. Because I know that experience has happened in my life before. Where I felt weird sharing the good news. And I went home, and I didn't talk about it. I just was like, It's not hard for me to talk to strangers. It's not difficult. I'll tell you one little quick story. We were at Pizza Ranch the other night there in the Kelly Walsh, um, what were they? The Kelly Walsh uh, Hispanic Club was there doing the serving thing at Pizza Ranch. And when the people would come and take our plates, you guys ever eat at Pizza Ranch, they come and take your plates. When they do a fundraiser, the, the people that are doing the fundraiser come and take your plates too. And every time they come, I'd be like, can you say that in Spanish? Like, it's no problem for me to be a jerk to somebody with my words. It's no problem. But to present the good news, I still trip. The gift of evangelism is a speaking gift. It's the ability to present and proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. You have the ability to talk to strangers. You have an intense burden for the people who are lost from Jesus. The ability to insert spiritual truth to normal conversations. You ever met that person where you're just talking and all of a sudden you're talking about Jesus and you're like, how did I get here? That person's an evangelist. How did this happen? My grandma was an evangelist. We're talking about, and it wasn't just me. She did it with everybody. We're serving up tater tots at Hastings College because she was one of the chefs there. And all of a sudden she's talking to this college student about Jesus. It just Now, I think that we all have that in us, the power to proclaim the good news because that's a promise from God. But there's something unique about that extra ooh, that somebody has when they have the evangelism gift. There's a freedom and a joy in talking about Christian things. It is natural and unforced. People around you pursue and ask questions about Jesus. You pray for people by name without even thinking about it to know who Jesus is. Not as a task. Not as a, hey, come and put some names on the bulletin board up here. But by name, regularly, you're going through your Rolodex, thinking of all the people in your life who don't know Jesus, and you're praying for them to encounter the living Christ. We're all required to be present in people's lives. We're all required to proclaim in people's lives the good news. And we are all required to practice the good news in our own lives. And that bit by bit, does bring people to a knowledge and understanding who Jesus is. But there are some of you, five of you in this building, I believe, who have a special ability. I don't want us to feel guilt about that, by the way. I really don't. I had a lot more to We're exploring what these gifts are because I do believe when you begin to capture, understand, and know You'll serve and work with power for the common good of us and the expression of our church and who we're going to be in the community. And ultimately, I'm telling you, God wants us to do his work here. And I don't know if we all know what that looks like. I know we have some values. I know we have a vision. Our vision is we're fighting forward together with hope in Jesus Christ, meaning that we want to engage deeply with people. It's a relationally oriented vision. We want to know you and know your struggles so that we can fight forward with you. We believe that there's more to come in your life. One of our values here is we expect more. Part of this spiritual gift 
look through and work through is I want you to expect more in your life and more in your work. It needs to be more than showing up at this place on Sunday morning and Wednesday night. When you come here, you need to feel like you have purpose here. Every one of you. Every one. And the promise is, is if you've acknowledged Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, if you say, I surrender all, like we sang earlier, I surrender all to you, Jesus, he has promised to empower you with a gift. And we've talked about eight of them or 12 of them. I don't even know where we're at right now. We've talked about a bunch, and there's more to come. But you're given a gift for us, not for you, for us. And I know I'm being repetitive, and I don't care. I need you to feel the purpose that God has put on your life as you've acknowledged him as Lord and Savior. And I believe this firmly. There are people in this room right now who don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior. You don't know him. You come and you practice church, and you show up here every Sunday, and you love this place, but you've never surrendered your entire life to Christ so that he has changed you and transformed you and made you different. You haven't done that yet. You've worked through the motions of church. There's some of you who have probably been baptized and did it because somebody asked you to. I have that testimony in my own life. I want everyone in this room and the ones who come to, to encounter the living Christ so that you are different. Paul in 2 Corinthians says you'll be a new creation. Something new. His creation. And his creation has purpose. And sometimes we just get off track, right? So during our prayer time today, one of the reasons we pray is some of you just feel discouraged or bitter. And you know, like you just don't, you're like, I know my place. I love Jesus. I just don't know how I fit. We want to pray with you. Elders, we want to pray with you to, to help you get freedom over that so that you can show up here and go, I have purpose. I have power. And it's because God's given it to me because I'm supposed to be building up this body for its purpose. And I assure you, what we're doing here at Casper Alliance Church is to try to reach that neighborhood there, to try to reach these neighborhoods here. We want to see hundreds and thousands of Casper people come to know Christ. We couldn't care less if they end up here, but some will. We want to see people know Jesus and change this town. Not that the town's bad, but could you imagine 60,000 Christians? People would go, that's crazy. 98% of that town loves Jesus. Stay away from there. And that would be the Wyoming way, right? Stay away from us. So that's, it's not just about us. It's about us together with the other. Write that down. Somebody write that down. Us together with the other, because that just came. That's why you need to have purpose. It's not to benefit me. It's not to benefit you.